him now? Can you see him now? See him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Yo, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come to your interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're one of our top candidates. Yeah. It looks like you, you know, you're a great fit for our team. Yeah. With, you know, expertise in the subject matter. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately... Um, unfortunately what? We're not going to be able to, to bring you on. But why? I mean, we just... It doesn't make sense. You just told me I was a good candidate. I mean, I mean, you are, but there are people out there who, who might be a better fit. Are you serious? I didn't get this job. I think I felt like I did everything right. I prepared for the interview, I answered all the questions right. I even showered before I went. I don't know what I did wrong. I prayed about it. I don't know why God didn't answer my prayer. I don't recognize this number. Hello? Yes, yeah, Joe. See you on Monday. Thank you. Can you see him now? Yes. Good. See him now series. And before I start, something's just different today. Just can't put my finger on it, but somehow it's going to be a special day here today in the well. Because we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world. And like I said, it's just as soon as I got up here on stage, I just felt something is different here in the air here today. And I feel like that God's going to give us a good message. So I'm going to jump straight into our message here today. What we're talking about, if you're just joining us, is we're talking about seeing God clearly and accurately as he truly is. And getting rid of the perceptions, or I should say the misperceptions, that plague so many of us. In the first week of this series, I told a story about a boy who liked a girl and a girl who liked a boy. But because he thought she didn't like him, and she thought he didn't like her, and he thought she was stuck up, and he, she thought he was stuck up, then the two almost never had a relationship. But once the misperceptions went down, then the two have since lived happily ever after. Well, I believe with all my heart of hearts that the topic we're going to talk about here today, which is that God is sovereign, the sovereignty of God, has the power to make a 180 in your life. Stress, frustration, lack of peace, lack of joy, confusion, all these things are symptoms of having a misperception and not understanding that God is sovereign and what that means. Let's go straight to our definition here for today. Sovereignty, if you look it up in the dictionary, means the following, all right? It means above or superior to all others. Chief, greatest, supreme. Second definition, supreme in power, rank, or authority. Third one, holding the position of ruler, royal, reigning. The word sovereign means top dog. Means supreme, means no one is above him. This definition of our God, if I say God is sovereign, this definition of sovereign, when I say my God is sovereign, this is the exact opposite of what the world says I should say. I'm not supposed to say this. What am I supposed to say? I'm never supposed to say my God is the best God. I'm never supposed to say my God is the strongest. What I'm supposed to say is all gods are fine. And you believe in this God, so for you, he's the strongest. And you believe in this God, so for you, he is. And we kind of have this idea that we've been put in our mind that there's like a God up in heaven, all right, but no one knows anything about this higher being. And then he just throws down like a Christian version of himself. And some people worship that Christian version. He throws down like a Jewish version. Some people worship that Jewish version. And the, the Muslim version. And then the Jehovah's Witness version. All these different versions. And just choose whichever one you want. In the end, it's all pretty much the same. And no one has the right to say that my God is supreme. And my God reigns. And my God is the sole authority in the universe. The world says, say the exact opposite. I say the world is crazy, if that's what you think. Is there such a thing? Can you have two sovereign beings in the universe? By definition. Can you have? Can you have two 
the most, the, the two that are supreme, the word supreme means no one is above him. Can you have, let me give you another example. Can you have a country with two kings? Say there's two options of kings. There's option A and option B. You choose whichever one you want. You can't. There's an expression in football. A team with two quarterbacks doesn't have a quarterback. A country with two rulers doesn't have a ruler. And a world with two gods means that there is no gods. The world tells us, give us options, let us choose. True story. I remember back when I was the uh, headmaster of uh, Good Shepherd Christian Academy. And we used to, uh, like I used to meet the students as they would come in. And there was one family that came in, this little boy. And I could tell right away from like the name is that they were not a Christian family. Okay, they were a Muslim family, which is fine. Like anyone was welcome to join the school. Like it was no problem. So I'm sitting there. Okay, and she's sitting there, and we're kind of talking, and it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Is this okay? But, like, it's no problem for me. So then she breaks the ice, and, you know, she says, you know, just, you know, just so you know, we're not Christian. And I said, you know, I, I pieced that together. And she said, she said, you know, we're okay with you teaching Christian. I said, okay, because, yeah, like, we don't care where you're coming from, but we teach what we teach. We teach Christianity. And she said the following. She said, it's okay. I want my son to be exposed to many different options, and then make the best choice possible when he gets older. So in my mind, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind it said, okay, lady, we're going to help him make that choice. <laughs> but this mentality of give him options is a crazy mentality. I don't give my kids options. I tell my kids what is true and what is not true. Again, another true story. My man Paul right here remembers this story. We were just chatting about it. It was about uh, probably seven, eight years ago. All right. And I was, me and Paul were playing basketball over at the gym. And we've been playing just for a couple minutes, all right? And a couple minutes into the game, I dislocated my right pinky. All right, I dislocated this. Why, if you ever see my pinky, it's not straight, okay? It's got a little thing because I didn't do the physical therapy the way I was supposed to. So I dislocated my pinky. I have a picture of the dislocated pinky. Do you guys want to see what it looked like? Anyone faint of stomach here? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, okay? It was kind of gruesome looking, all right? Hey, you all want to see? Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> One more? <laughs> oh, my goodness. One more. <laughs> Look at that. That's like 75 degrees to the right right there. Let's get that thing off. Well, <laughs> all right, last time. We're playing ball. Two minutes into the game, I'm playing defense, or I don't know, I don't know, I had the ball, and then someone knocked the ball out of my hand, and I was, ah, man, that hurt, and I go back, and I'm playing on defense, and I'm, um, we're playing, and playing, and playing, and I'm go running down the fast break on the other side, and the guy misses the shot, and I'm coming back down this way, and I looked at my hand, and it was 90 degrees to the right, and I freaked out. Like, I started screaming, I didn't know what was going on, I was yelling, and I went to the, I grabbed a towel. I said, I'm out of the game. I grabbed a towel, and I covered it because it looked like like freak show. So I go to the lady, and I'm like, is there a doctor here? And she's like, no. I'm like, is there a nurse? She's like, no. I'm like, look. <laughs> I'm like, I need help. And she said, you know, we, and she called 911. And why are we waiting for 911? Why are we waiting for 911 because of this thing? I threw up three times in the lobby just from the sight of this thing. Anyway, we get to the hospital. True story. We get to the hospital. I'm right now like I'm in a panic because I don't know what's going on. I want anyone to touch me. I want anything. And this lady comes in, and she says, she says she's not a doctor. She says she's a PA, all right? I don't know what a PA is. When I was in college, I had a TA. That's fine with me, okay? As far as I'm concerned, that's good. And she's like, you can wait for the doctor to come. And I'm like, lady, like, I need help. And she says, okay, here's your options. And she says, we can... Um, do an x-ray, and then we can wait for the doctor to look at the x-ray, or we can, I can just put it in place. And I'm like, lady, this is what I said. Lady, I don't need options. I need you to fix this finger. So, she sa so I said, what? you tell me what to do. Don't give me options. Tell me what's the right thing to do. She says, no, the right thing is I pull it, and I put it back in place. And I'm like, pull, and she put it right back in place. And thing was done in five minutes. When my finger is 90 degrees to the right, I don't need options. I need solutions. I don't need to tell me my options. If I got a problem, if I go to a mechanic, I don't need him to say, well, you could put this oil in, 
or you could put this oil in, or you could fill it up with windshield fluid, or you could pump the air in the tires. I don't need options. My car's making a noise. Tell me what fixes the noise. Don't give me options. If I go to a lawyer and I say, I'm in trouble, lawyer, I need legal advice. He says, well, you could do nothing and hope for the best, or you could, I don't need options. I need someone who's smarter than me to tell me, your finger's 90 degrees to the right, this is how you make it straight. No options. And I'm telling you, inside each one of us, there's a sickness called sin. And if you don't fix this sickness called sin, it's going to be very, very serious. We don't need options. We need solutions. If you are looking for different options spiritually, you can go all kinds of different places and find options. Here we don't preach options. Here we preach truth. The only thing I'm going to tell you is the only thing I know, which is the only solution to the problem that's inside of us, the problem that causes you to do the things that you wish you couldn't do, that when you say, man, I wish I had more self-control. Man, I wish my temper didn't get the best of me. Man, I wish I didn't worry so much. Man, I wish I was able to trust and relax and not be anxious all the time. Man, I wish I had a different life. The answer to that, there's only one answer, and that's in the supreme God who reigns over the universe, who is above all others, supreme in power, and he reigns over the universe. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Jesus speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Bottom line is this. You live in the United States of America. Whether you like Mr. Obama or doesn't, doesn't like Mr. Obama, he's the president. And you can go around and say, I don't like him. It doesn't make a difference. He's still the president. You not respecting him as president doesn't make him not president. He's the president. You live in a country with a king, he's the king. He has the right to chop people's heads off. He's the king. We live in a world where we have one supreme being, and that is God Almighty. And we are going to find out today what does it mean when we say God Almighty is sovereign. And I promise you, understanding the sovereignty of God, nothing will give you peace more than understanding sovereignty of God. And that's where our hope is to find out today. All right, we're going to learn a church word together. There's a church word which means sovereign God, and it is the Greek word, which means pantokrator. You say that with me? Say pantokrator. Pantokrator. Say it like you mean it. Pantokrator. Pantokrator means the controller of all things. Pantokrator is sometimes, is sometimes translated as almighty. Good definition, but not a complete definition in my mind. I like this because it's more descriptive, because it means the one who controls everything, everything. And there's this nice icon, maybe you've seen it before, of Christ the Pantocrator. And what you notice in this icon, you see Christ seated on his throne, and in his hand is a blue ball. Who is sharp and can tell me what they think that blue ball represents? You know, when we were kids, they taught us theology song. Let me teach you a theology song. Theology song. <laughs> theology song. You know the song that goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. You know that song? It's a great song. It's very theological. He's got the you and me brother. He's got the you and me sister. He's got the fuzzy wuzzy bear. <laughs> He's got the whole world in his, I don't know how it goes. I don't know if the Fuzzy Wuzzy Bear is a different song, okay? I think that's a different one, but I always mix them together, all right? He's got the whole world in his hands, which means that there is not one problem, there's not one human being, there's not one atom of this universe that exists outside of that little ball that's in his hand. Like, I want you, when you see that icon of that picture, to find yourself in it. And what you'll see is yourself is very, 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 very small. It's very, 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 very small. And God is very, very, very big. A couple of verses here. I'll show you some great verses in the Bible. Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Man, I love this verse. Whose inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You know that boss of yours who's giving you a tough time and you say, my boss, my boss, my boss, my boss. You know how big that boss is in God's eyes? He's a little grasshopper, Pew, if he wants to. You say my circumstances, my, 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 my problems, my sickness. You know how big that is in God's hand? It's a little grasshopper. And God can and make it all go away if he wants to. There's nothing 
in his universe, no matter how big, put your biggest problem and stack it on top of all the problems in the universe. And in front of God, wait, what? Is that your problem? Oh, I think I can kind of, wait, give me a magnifying lens. I'll change your mic. Give me a, a glass here. Oh, now I can see your problem. It's very hard for me to see your gigantic problem because I'm God and it's as big as a grasshopper in my eyes and I can squish it out if I want because I'm the sovereign. I'm the pantocrator. Another verse. This is my favorite, favorite, favorite verse of all time. Lamentation 337. You're going to memorize this verse by the end of today. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? You want to live a life of peace? You want to reduce your stress level and frustration and confusion in life? Memorize this verse. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Meaning... That when woe, meaning negative things happen, where did that come from? Not unless God gives it the authority because no one can do anything. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? And when well-being comes, that also comes not because of you and your hard work, but because God above. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? I'll give you a working definition of what it means that God is sovereign. This is how I always think. Is that my life is not in the hands of men. My life is not in the hands of circumstances. My life is in the hands of Almighty God. And who is he who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord God Almighty gave him permission to do that? The Bible even says, goes even to further detail. It says, not one hair, not one hair falls from your head unless God says, okay, hair number 3,468, you go now. Not one hair falls from your head, not one tear falls from your eye unless God gives it permission. Because who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Some of you gentlemen that thought about the hair, you should feel very cared about and very loved. God has been thinking about you a lot recently, it looks like. Another verse, Romans 11, verse 36. St. Paul says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Again, for of him and through him and to him. What does that mean? That means that all things are of him. Everything is from God. I am the Alpha. All things are through him. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? I'm the way. And all things are to him. I am the Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I am the way. So there's nothing that happens from the beginning of time to the end of time that is outside of the beginning or the end or the way in between the beginning and the end. All things are of him. All things are through him. And all things are to him, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That means someone close to you died. Someone in your family got sick. You got laid off. Your 401k went for of him and through him and to him are all things be glory for glory are of him to whom be the glory forever. Amen. What would it mean if we say here's a bad situation? And God had no control over it. You know what it would mean? It means that he's not almighty. That he's not pantocrator. It means that he is not the sovereign, the ruler of the universe. If, like I said, if there's one person, not even one person, one molecule in this universe that can move one inch to the right or to the left without his command, then he is not sovereign. God's sovereignty raises some questions for us. All right, and, and if we're honest and we're, and we're thinking through it when we say God is sovereign, like even just some of the questions I just brought up, God's sovereignty raises two questions that if you don't know how to answer them, you're going to struggle. And I found out that a lot of times we don't believe in God's sovereignty because we don't know how to answer these questions. Question number one, if God is sovereign, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? This is a common question, right? If you're honest, you've thought about this. Why are there homeless kids? Why is there famines? Why is there drunk drivers killing kids in the street? Why, why, why are all these bad things happening if God is sovereign and can control everything? Something going on. You know, whenever I go travel places or I meet random people, this is by far the number one thing that people ask me. And I found out that nine out of ten times you find someone who says, I don't believe in God. Not all the time. Nine out of ten times. The biggest mistake you make is preach theology to that person. That's not theology. 
That's the problem with this question. How am I going to believe in a God who I prayed for my grandmother and I did everything right and grandma went and died? How am I going to believe in a God who gave me a father who abused me and treated me like that? How am I going to believe in a God who has never answered one prayer? So you know what? Easier for me, I don't believe in God. And then you come and preach theology and you come and preach science. That had nothing to do with it. If God is sovereign, why is there so much bad in the world? Why is there so much evil? Who's behind mystery door number one? Is someone there? Don't you go? Yeah, so just. They're welcome to come in, but just open her. You know. <laughs> How would you answer this question? If God is sovereign, why is there so much evil in the world? Well, the key is understanding where does evil come from? Where does evil come from? A minute ago, I just said all things are from God. So that implies that evil is from God, right? Doesn't sound right. But he said everything's from God. So if I say evil is not from God, then he's not Pancho Krator. Then there's stuff happening that's not from him. But if I say it is from God, then I make God evil. Where does evil come from? We just got ourselves in a little circular loop here, didn't we? Follow me here on this one. We'll answer this question together. Number one, God didn't create evil. Number two, God created free will. And number three, human beings use their free will to create evil. I'm unpack that statement. God did not create evil. God is the author of good, not of evil. Everything God created said, created this, it is good. Created this, it is good. Created this, it is good. God did not create evil. But God did create something that led to evil. And that something is called free will. And you say, why did God create free will? Answer the question, why did God, when God created human beings, he created human beings with an ability to choose. And to choose good or bad. He gave me two hands. I can use these hands to hug you or to hit you. He gave me a brain. I can use this brain to research ways to cure cancer or ways to rob a bank. It is my choice and my free will. Why did God give me free will? Simple. One, because he loves me. Two, because he respects me. I always say it's not the love of God that gave us free will. It's the respect of God. Because God didn't say, I can make you like a robot if I wanted. I can make you like a dog and train you like a dog. But that's not, that's not a respect. And he says, I treat you like an adult. And I give you the choice. And you choose what to do. And I want you to choose this, but I give you the ability to choose. And human beings, unfortunately, use their free will to create evil. Blaming God for a human being's free will choice to do evil is like blaming me as a parent. Let's say I send my kids uh, and they, they, they play basketball at the, at the park. all right, And then they get into a fight and my kid hits another kid. And say it's your fault as a parent. I say, okay, what my kid did is not good, but what's the only way that I can make sure that my kid doesn't ever hit another kid? Lock him up in the basement. But then if I locked my kid up in the basement, I wouldn't be very loving to my kid. So you see, this is where God is. God, yes, he knew when he created us that we might do evil. And in fact, not might, but we will do evil. And we say, if God loved the world, he'd lock man up. But you know, if God locked man up, he'd lock you up too, because you've done many evils yourself. And you're not the only one who's been lied to. You've lied many times. You're not the only one who has hurt others. You've hurt other people as well. So if you want God to lock up all the people who have ever done any evil and ever hurt you, then you should be the first one to walk in the jail cell because let him who is without sin cast the first stone. God created free will because he loves us. And unfortunately, negative came from that. But good also came from that because you cannot have a love relationship with someone who is locked in the basement. Human beings make evil choices. If someone gets drunk, gets in a car, hits a kid in the street, that is not God's fault. That is the person who drove's fault. Because God told that person many times, all throughout Scripture, about the dangers of drinking. And God gave that person a brain and a conscience. And God gave that person a mommy and a daddy who told him, don't ever do this. And God did everything he could, short of taking away that person's free will, to stop that guy from doing that. We don't blame God for that. Someone picks up a gun and shoots someone else in a movie theater. And we blame God. Why, what did God to do with it? Where did God, God come from? God didn't create that. God didn't create evil. God created free will. Humans are the ones who used their free will to create evil. But here's the beauty of God's sovereignty. 
even though God did not create evil, because he is sovereign, because he's got the whole world in his hands, because he sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, because who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Because of all these things, God may not create the evil, but God can use the evil for good. Understand me right. I'm not saying that the evil is good. I'm not saying, like, let, let's, be, let's be practical. 9-11, evil. Uh, shootings in the schools, evil, evil, evil. All kinds of crimes, evil. I'm not saying abuse, evil. I'm not saying those things are good. But what I'm saying, because God is punto crator, holds the whole world in his hands, he can take the evil and make good come out of it. How? Romans 8, 28. Every verse I'm telling you today, these like these golden verses. You got you got to highlight these. You got to memorize some of these. You got to post them around because these verses. I'm saying, if you don't have peace in life, you need some of these verses. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And we know. Say this verse. I want everyone to say this because this is one of those key verses. Say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Say it again. And we know. You're saying good can come out of 9-11? You're saying good can come from abuse? You're saying good can come from, from parents leaving their kids on the street? Good can come from those things? I'm saying yeah. Because I believe God is punto crotcho. And I'm telling you, I've had this conversation with people. And when the time I say it, you hate my guts. But I'm telling you, I'm always, like I said, I don't give options. I give truth. I'm going to tell you the truth, and you're going to hate my guts today, and I promise you, you're going to come a point in time, you stick with it, you're going to come back and say thank you. That was the best thing you ever said. Sometimes people come to me and say the worst story, and I don't want to make light of it in any way. Some people tell me stories, bad stories about bad stuff and bad situations, horrible things that happen to them, and they feel sorry for themselves. And it's easy for me just to shed a tear, feel sorry for you, give you a hug, and send you out my office, and I did nothing for you. And I tell that person. You may not understand it today, but I'm telling you, there's going to come a point in time you're going to thank God for that. What? Huh? Dude, my dad, my mom, huh? you know what they did? I know. There's going to come a point in time you are going to thank God for that. Why? Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I'm not, I'm not like a prophet. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like really hoping, keep my fingers. God said it. He is the Pantocrator. He is the one who controls all things, and he can make good come out of any situation. You know what God is? You know uh, a tapestry. You know what a tapestry is? Okay, those things that hang in all of our parents' living rooms. Okay, a tapestry. You look at it, and it looks like on the front, looks very, very nice. What happens if you look at the backside? What does it look like? Like, a, like junk. And there's like different threads and all over the place, and some dark and some light, and kind of crisscrossing all over the place. And you feel like looking at the back, like, this is ugly. Then you come on this side, you say, that's not bad. We live on this side. We live on this side. On life, on this earth, we live on this side. And we see, why did God put a dark thread next to a light thread? Why did God do this? Why this? How come it looks messy and it's jumbled and where are you, God? And then one day we get to this side. And we look at it and we say, yeah, that's pretty funny. He did a good job there. Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. 9-11 can work for good to those who love God? Yes. School shootings? Yes. Abuse? Yes. Dislocated pinky? Yes. God can even bring good out of a dislocated pinky. Because all things work together. Work together like a tapestry to make a good picture on the other side. The classic example of this from the Bible is a story of a man named Joseph from the Old Testament. Y'all know the story. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. All right, 12 brothers. Parents, some of you have two boys and you're ready to call it quits. This is a family of 12 boys. And these guys, they did some crazy stuff to one another. Joseph was the second to youngest, so he had 10 older brothers. And Joseph used to tell his older brothers, because his dad used to feed this in him, that, Joseph, you're special, you're not like them. And Joseph used to tell them, hey, guys, I'm special, not like you guys. 
And Joseph used to be very proud. He had a cute little coat with nice little colors to show everyone, I'm the most specialist boy in the whole wide world. I used to go and tell them that one day, you're going to see how special I am. You're going to bow to me, and you're going to kiss my hand and kiss my feet. And, of course, his ten older brothers hated his guts. They hated his guts so much that one day they were out in the field, and they decided that they were going to throw Joseph into a well. Let that one sink in for a little bit. I had two brothers. We used to fight all the time. We hit each other. We threw stuff at each other. We never threw each other in wells. <laughs> like you just knew there were certain things that that's really bad. These guys saw no problem. There's a well. There's Joseph. Let's throw him in there and leave him for dead. They take Joseph. They dump him in there. And then they leave him. And Joseph's at the bottom of this well. You're Joseph. What are you thinking while you're down there? What's going through your mind? I wish, like we over-spiritualize people. And we think that Joseph was down there. Thank you, dear God, for this well. It is a fine, fine, fine well. Well-constructed. And <laughs> You think that's what Joseph was doing down there? Man, I bet you Joseph was down there screaming his head off. Where are you, God? What did I do? You told me, God, that I'm going to reign. I didn't make that stuff up. You told me I'm going to reign. You told me I'm your chosen one. You told me I'm special. You told me you got a great plan for my life. Well, I see that all that was garbage because I'm going to die here in this well in the next couple days. Either I'm going to die of starvation or I'm going to die of dehydration or I'm going to get eaten by well animals. <laughs> God, you failed me. You let me down. The same stuff that we say. And I bet you that God, like a good father, kind of watched his son throw his little hissy fit, throw his little temper tantrum. And then after a while, he said, you done? He said, are you done? Are you done? Let me ask you a question, Joseph. Your life is in whose hands? And my hands are your brother's hands. Say, well, God, well, it's supposed to be in your hands, but you see, my, da, 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 da. your life, Joseph, is in whose hands? Who is the sovereign over the universe? Who is the one who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers? Me or them? You, God. I got it then. Calm down. But God, how am I going to eat? But God, how am I going to drink? But God, how am I going to get out of here? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass and the Lord has not commanded him? Have a seat. And lo and behold, God did work. Somehow, there was a group of Ishmaelites passing through the desert, and they saw Joseph's brothers. And Joseph's brothers got an idea. These guys are looking for slaves. Why would we just leave him as dead and gain nothing from it? Let's not only kill him, let's make some money off it. So let's sell him as a slave. After we threw him in the well, then we're going to sell him as a slave. So he doesn't die in the well, he dies over there in Egypt as a slave. So they pull him out of there, and they sell him to these Ishmaelites. And Joseph riding there to be a slave in the handcuffs, this is going from bad to worse. Joseph gets over there. He ends up in Egypt. He works as a slave at the bottom of the barrel, bottom of the totem pole. He works his way up. He's the best slave in the whole wide world. He's working at this guy Potiphar's house. And Potiphar says, you are the best worker in the world. I put everything under your control. He says to him, Potiphar says, Joseph, you are a very special guy. And Potiphar and Joseph liked it, and Potiphar said he's special. Well, unfortunately, Potiphar's wife also thought Joseph was very special. And she wanted to have some special time with Joseph. So she came and tried to seduce Joseph. And Joseph had a choice. Listen to the boss's wife or stick with God. Listen to the boss's wife or stick with God. God, you are Pantocrator, the sovereign of the universe. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? I trust you, God. And the result was he ends up in jail. Because Potiphar's wife said when he said no to her, she took it personally, that he tried to rape me and get him out of here. And, of course, the man had to believe his wife through the slave in jail. Joseph in jail. Where are you, God? How come, God? You left me here, God. You don't love me. All the nonsense that we say. And God? Joseph, your life is in whose hands? God, I told you from the beginning it's in your hands, but you don't seem to be doing a very good job right now. Joseph! Who's the Pantocrator of the universe? Who is the sovereign God? You are God. I got it. And lo and behold, God did it once again. Through a series of circumstances, fast forward the story, Joseph gets out of jail, starts working in the house of Pharaoh, 
and because he did such a good job, Joseph ends up becoming the second highest ranking official in all of Egypt, which at the time was like the greatest country in the world. All right. And at the time, there was a famine in the world. And because of Joseph and his genius, he not only saved himself and saved Egypt, he, the entire world was saved because of Joseph and the, and the brain that God put in him and the position that God put him in. And at the very end of his life, Joseph reconciles with his brothers. And Joseph says the following. This is spiritual maturity right here. Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, meaning to the brothers, when you threw me into a well, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You meant evil. God used it for good. Can you say this verse? Your boss giving you a hard time at work. Can you say this verse? That you meant it for evil, but God, I trust you will use it for good. Your uh, tough time at, at home with, with whatever person or whatever the circumstance. Can you say this verse? That yes, that person meant to hurt me. And I'm not taking that away. That those, that, that, that um, again, the 9-11, those people were bad. And they meant to hurt us and they hurt many people. But God will use this as good in my life. How can you say that? Because all things work together for good to those who love God. And who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord is not commanded? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? King David said it this way in Psalm 27, verse 1 and 2. King David, someone who saw his fair share of enemies trying to hurt him too, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Question number one. If God was sovereign, why would there be evil in the world? Answer is, God didn't create evil. He created free will. But because God is God, he can use the evil even to make good in this world. Question number two. Now we'll go to the other extreme. All right, from one extreme of we don't believe in God because it can't be evil. The other extreme if God is sovereign, then does it even matter what I choose? So if God is sovereign and he's taking care of everything, then what difference does it make what I choose? Because I'm just nothing more than a puppet. I'm a robot. God is sovereign and he pulls the strings and he makes stuff happen. And then we have this attitude of just, well, you know, we're just kind of along for the ride and it doesn't really make a difference. God is sovereign indeed. And God is the controller of all. But we do have a role. And we must choose to cooperate with God's sovereignty. We must choose to cooperate with God's sovereignty if we want to reap the benefits of his sovereignty. I'll give you an example. Easy example. You live in a country with a king. And, and we, we don't recognize this because we have a president and democracy and all this kind of stuff. But if you live in a country with a king, king, that's it. King is ultimate supreme. What he says goes. He says Chop his hand off, he chops his hand. Like, king has ultimate power and authority. But that doesn't mean he can take away your ability to choose. You have the ability to choose to obey the king or disobey. And if you disobey, there will be consequences. But you still have a choice. His sovereignty does not take away your need to cooperate with his sovereignty. Does that make sense? He's the king. He sets the rules. But you have to choose to cooperate with those rules in order to reap the benefits of his sovereignty and the good that he wants to do. That's the, when it said uh, he works all things together for good to those who love God. That to those who love God, what does that mean? That's the cooperating with his sovereignty. Meaning that if you are resisting him and you are resisting his sovereignty and you're always kicking against and fighting and screaming, then his sovereignty is not working good for you. It is working bad for you. And the more you resist, the more it's working not good in your life, it's working bad in your life. Because he who loves little, reaps little benefit from the sovereignty. He who loves a lot, reaps a lot of benefit from that sovereignty. Just like I said with the king. Proverbs 3, 6, trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, I'm sorry. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That he shall direct your paths does not happen unless in all your ways acknowledge him. That's what I mean by cooperate. We can't just say God will take care of everything and God will direct my life and God will do this and that unless I am cooperating and seeking God. 
How? Practically. What does that mean? How do I cooperate with God's sovereignty? Practically. Two very practical things. Both begin with B. It's easy to memorize. Number one is bow. Bow before the king of the universe. What do I mean by bow? Think of, okay, remember in the old movies when a king who was sovereign would ride into town, right? A king would ride in town on a horsey with like the, the entourage. And then the, the peasant people, the serfs, right? What would they do when the king rolled into town? They bow, okay? The king's coming and they would bow or genuflect or something like that, okay? They'd bow to show honor, to show respect. They were doing it even if they didn't like the king or care for the king, they were smart. They knew that the king had the power to chop their heads off in and, 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 and a, and a blink of an eye. So they were smart and they said, this person, let's bow to this person. Can you imagine a serf, a peasant people? Here comes the king. Hey, king. Hey. Can you imagine that? Hey, how's it going, buddy? Buddy? Can you imagine that? Like, you don't just stroll into the king. Imagine even not the king. Imagine you meet President Obama. You stroll in there. Hey, how's it going, buddy? What? You know, hey, how's it going, buddy? You honor someone in this position. You honor them. How about not the ruler of our country? How about not the ruler of a continent? How about the ruler of the universe? When I say we bow before the king of the universe, I don't mean physically bow. I mean, you may want to physically bow, but I don't mean that. What I mean is submit every aspect of my life to him. For example, my time, how I spend my time, I make my time bow to him. My money, how I spend my money, bows to him. My relationships that I choose to hang out with, that I invest in. I take these relationships, I say, I like this, I like this. Hold on. I take these relationships, and the relationships bow. In the universe, all of creation bows to God. All of creation obeys God, and all, the heavens, the earth, the fire, the wind, everything at his control. Does God possess the same place in your life that he possesses in the universe? That's my question for you. Does God possess the same place in your life, in your time, your money, your friendship, in your thought life, in your Friday nights? Does he possess the same rank in your life as he does in the rest of the universe? Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's how I like to think about this. There's going to come a point in time where every single person who's ever existed will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. You have two choices, just like our parents used to teach us. You do it the easy way, you do it the hard way. You can bow now voluntarily, or you can wait till that day and bow then involuntarily. But you will bow. Everyone will bow to the supreme of the universe. Now, because he is the supreme, because he is loving, we talked last week about his love, all right? And if you take sovereign without love, you're going to get imbalanced, but I talked love last week. Because he's love on top of sovereign, then he does not exist in order to make us bow. Like, he doesn't force the bow now. But we submit the bow because we have brains in our head and we know it's inevitable. So number one is we bow before the king of the universe. And number two, and this is the harder of the two, is we must believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. We must believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. Like those verses that we talked about, it's nice to talk about in church. I need to believe it on Monday morning. I need to believe it when the bad news hits, when the circumstances turned for the wrong direction. I need to believe it when it all seems like it's crumbling and it all seems like it's going down and I can't take it anymore. I need to believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. And if you want a practical application of how to believe, like what does that mean? Like what's the opposite of believe? I would say is worry. So how can you tell if you're believing is you're not worrying? And how can you tell that you're not believing is that you're worrying? And if your worry level is up here, I would say your belief is down here. And the two are like a seesaw. The more belief goes up, the more worry goes down. The more belief goes down, the more worry goes up. So if your life is characterized by worry, you're not doing a very good job at believing. I've seen it, and you've seen it if you're honest. 
You, if you're honest, you've seen it. You may not be seeing it now, but if you're honest, you have seen some of the worst circumstances ever in life turn out to be the best thing that ever happened. Agree or disagree? You have seen it, and I have seen it, but you got to be honest. And you've been through circumstances that you said, this is the end of the world. And later on, you've come and said, you know what? That turned out to be not so bad after all. Agree or disagree? Heads nodding all over the place. Two stories from the Bible. Two of my favorite stories. I'll go through them quickly. Y'all know the story in the book of Daniel about three young people called the three holy youth. These three holy youth lived in a country called Babylon. They were good guys, worshipped God. They lived in a country of bad guys who did not worship God. King of that country was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the sovereign over the country, made a rule. Said anyone who doesn't worship this statue of me will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Here's a big statue. Everyone, I play the, the trumpet. And when I play the trumpet, everyone bows down to this statue. And the whole country did it. These three guys said, we will not bow. But they didn't make a big show about it. They just said, we don't believe, so we're not going to bow. And plain and simple is, we bow to one God. To one, The sovereign is not this dumb statue. Like, we have brains in our heads. The statue is not sovereign. It's made of stone and bricks or whatever it is. We bow to the king of the universe, and we believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. So, day came, trumpet blew, everyone bowed, three guys standing up. And you can imagine the scene. Thousand people, everyone goes down, and three guys just kind of twiddling their thumbs. Nebuchadnezzar says, you three, you come here. What's the problem? They said, as much as we love you, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, we bow to only one God. And that is the, supreme, that is the punto crator. And you are not him, so we will not bow. And no matter what you do to us, we will not ever ever bow to this dumb little statue. They were faithful, right? They obeyed God, right? Like, now God is going to do a great miracle. They did everything right. We will not bow. We trust in God. God, yes. And they're just waiting. Okay, lightning now. And the end result of their great act of faith was they were thrown in the fiery furnace. But not just any fiery furnace. Bible says that there had never been a furnace this hot. And many people have been thrown in that fiery furnace, but Nebuchadnezzar was so upset at these three guys, they said, make it hotter and make it hotter. He kept making it hotter and hotter and hotter and throwing more like coals in there to make it hotter that the people who were throwing the coals in burned up and died. What happened to the three holy youth? <clears throat> There's a passage that is called the prayer of Azariah. It says this. Now the king's servants who threw them in kept stoking the furnace with naphtha, pitch, tow, and brushwood. And the flames poured out above the furnace 49 cubits. You know what 49, a cubit is a foot and a half. All right, so multiply 1.5 times 50. It's like 75. 75 feet high was how high the flames were. You know how 75 feet is? This thing is hot. And spread out and burned those Chaldeans who were caught near the furnace. The people who were stoking the fire, these guys got caught in the furnace. But the angel of the Lord came down into the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions and drove the fiery flame out of the furnace and made the inside of the furnace as though a moist wind were whistling through it. The fire did not touch them at all and caused them no pain or distress. Picture this. We won't bow in the furnace. Hotter, 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 hotter. And as these guys are being led into the furnace, handcuffed, Again, what are they thinking? We love you, God. You're the best, God. Thank you so much for the fire. What are they thinking? This is the worst thing that ever happened. How could we trust God? How come, God? And how come you didn't save us? And how come you let this king make this dumb rule? I thought you were the king of the universe. Why didn't you negate his rule? And how come you let him catch us? Like we were just going to do it in secret. How come you let us get caught? And how come you didn't save us? And how come the good guys didn't come? And how come? And how come? And how come? And again, as they're being thrown in there, God knocking on their heads this time because there was no wall. Knocking on their head. Excuse me. Three young men, who is the Punto Crator of the universe? Remind me again, because I forgot. Is it him or is it me? Who is the one who controls the entire universe in its hands and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers on this earth? Who is the one who, without, without his speaking, nothing happened in this universe? They said, you, God. We trust you, God. We believe. And the end result is they're in there in the furnace. And everyone around them is burning. And what does the Bible say they felt? A moist wind. 
Picture it. Fire, 75 feet high, and they're like, anyone got a sweater? You laughed. You laughed. You laughed, right? Let me show you a verse in the Bible. You laughed. Watch this verse. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. He laughs. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to make the fire hotter. And God's like, okay, make it hotter. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, please don't make it hotter. No, please. He's laughing. This is what this verse means. He laughs at them. The one that he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. God just sits up there and says, okay, you're the almighty. Go ahead. And you know what? That's happening in our lives too. Oh, boss. And all this kind of stuff. We're like, oh, God. And God's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Let him. Let him do what he wants. Let your boss do what he wants. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? What are you trying to tell me? That there's something that's outside of my control? You tell me that there's a circumstance in your, it, is your life in the hands of men or in the hands of Punta Crator? Is your life in the hands of random circumstances or your life is in the hand of Punta Crator? Next story. This may be my favorite story of all time. My all-time favorite story. And it's a story that unfortunately most people don't know because it doesn't appear in most uh, versions of the Bible. It's a story of Susanna. Go look it up when you go home. You can read the full thing. Take you 15 minutes, 10 minutes, but man, it's worth every minute. This is action and drama and, and, and sex lies and video. Like, it's everything that you can want in a Bible story. Story says this. There's a woman named Susanna, righteous woman who is a good, good person, and she one day, she's a beautiful woman, she one day, she goes to take a bath, all right, in her garden. So she tells her maid, make sure that there's no one in the garden and everything's locked I'm going to take a bath right now. What she didn't know is that before that, there were these two dirty old men. And these two dirty old men were like judges in Israel, high-ranking guys. Think of like Supreme Court judges or justices, whatever it is, high-ranking guys. And these guys had seen Susanna many times, and they kind of thought she was very nice-looking as well. So they were kind of like peeping Tom on her whenever they got a chance. One time they were peeping Tom, and they ran into each other. And then it was a very awkward moment for them, as you can imagine. And then they said, you know what? Let's come up with an agreement. What we're going to do is next time Susanna comes in there, we're going to sneak inside, and they're going to close the gate, and then we're going to make business with Susanna. And they did that. And they hid inside. She said, make sure there's no one in here. Maid said, place is clear. Lock the door. Two men jumped out of the bush and saw Susanna while she was bathing. And they said, lady, we're going to make business together. And she said, I'm married. No. And they said, lady, you got two choices. You either do what we're telling you, or we're going to walk out of here, and we are judges, and you are a woman. Sorry. We're going to tell everyone that you, we caught you in here with another man. Your husband will get rid of you, and you will be stoned because that is the punishment for a woman committing adultery in Israel. Two choices. You listen to us, or you get killed. What do you choose? You're Susanna. What do you do? What do you do? This is what Susanna did. Susanna prayed. And she didn't pray like we would pray. We'd pray, God, why you left me? God, why this horrible situation? She prayed this. Oh, eternal God, you know what is hidden and aware of all things before they come. Not much of a prayer. But what did she do? She put herself, she bowed, and she believed. And she reminded herself that God is the Pantocrator, the sovereign of the universe. And who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord is not commanded? I'm in this tough situation, but God is with me. He will not leave me. And she made the right choice. And she said, I will not do this bad situation with you. I will not commit adultery with you. They said, okay, you picked your poison. They walk out of there, and they do just like they said they would. They say she was committing adultery. We caught her. They put her on trial. Now, they are judges. She is a woman. Their word is clear, and there are two of them, and she's one of her. Clearly, their word. There's Susanna on trial. The two dirty old men and all their dirty old men friends are the jury, and they're the ones who are accusing me of this, and I got no shot. So here I'm, Susanna, and I'm coming, and I'm, why God would allow this? 
And how come, God? And how come you allow these men to sneak in? And how come, God? And how come? And how come? And how come? And how come? And God snuck in and said, he's softer with the woman, okay? He's easier with the woman. Man, he's softer with the woman. Hey, Susanna, you remember me? She said, yeah. She said, you remember me? I'm the Pantocrator. I'm the he who speaks and it comes to pass when I have not commanded it. I'm the sits above the circle of the earth and inhabits like grasshoppers. You remember me? She says, yeah, God, I trusted you. But how you let me be in this situation? God says, don't worry, it's from me. From you? God, you allow these men to do this? Yes. God, you allow me to be on trial for my life? Yes. God, you allow my reputation to be trashed? Yes, I allowed every single one of it. And if you stick with me, Susanna, you are going to see how no one speaks and it comes to pass unless I command it and how I make all things work together for good to those who love God. She stands in front of them on trial. While she's about, basically there's no evidence. They said this, she said this, doesn't matter what she said. They said it, they're about to lead her off. And just as they're about to lead her to execution, that's when the Bible says this, verse 44. The Lord heard her prayer, and as she was being led to execution, God stirred up the Holy Spirit of a young boy named Daniel, and he cried aloud, I am innocent of this woman's blood. This boy named Daniel comes out of left field, and no one knows who he is, and all of a sudden he says, wait, 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 hold up. I'm innocent of this woman's blood. She's innocent. And they said, what are you talking about? You're just a young kid. And basically, long story short, Daniel says, these two are dirty old men. They're liars, and trust me, and I'll prove it to you. Basically, he separates the two old men, puts one in that room, one in this room, brings one over here and says, you, and he says some not nice words to them, you dirty old whatever. You saw them doing the business under, you, you said that she was doing something with a man under a tree. What kind of tree was it? And the guy says it was a, uh, uh, a mastic tree. So he says, okay, you just lied on your own head. Get out of my sight. Brings the other guy here. He says, you said, you dirty old man too, that you saw them being intimate under a tree. What kind of tree was it? He says, it was an oak tree. And he says, okay, both of you come here because both of you are liars and God just revealed you're both liars and the whole place said these guys are liars and they cut both their heads off right down the spot and Susanna was vindicated and shown that she was innocent. Why? Because who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Your life is not in your hands. Your life is not in the hands of people. Your life is not in the hands of circumstances. Your life is in the hands of Almighty God. There's one thing I want you to take away. What does the sovereignty of God mean for you? It means that God is in control. And I know, and you know, there are times when it seems like there's no control. And God is completely out of the picture. And it seems like everyone else is in control except God. And I'm telling you, at those moments in time, you got to close your eyes and you got to say, I believe that God is in control. And I believe that he sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And I believe that all things are of him and through him and to him. To him be glory forever. Amen. you got to believe these things when all the evidence is against you. And you're standing on trial for your life. And everyone believes that you're wrong. And these two dirty old men. Because at the last second, as she was being led to execution, God worked. And this young boy named Daniel brought him out of left field. We don't even know where he came from. But God works. This concept, I know, is not an easy concept. Here's my challenge for you, and I'm going to leave you with this thought. My challenge for you is to try to live this week, one day, just one day, as if God really is the supreme punter over your life, as if really everything that happens to you is not outside of his control and is coming from God. How? You start your day off in the morning by bowing. And you get your quiet time in the morning, and you say, God, I trust you. And I believe this day is a day from you. And I believe that you are going to work in my life. And I submit to you my thoughts, my actions, my words, everything. Just one day. This day I submit to you entirely. And then you walk around that day in confidence, knowing this verse. Oops, I thought I had the verse. It's okay. Y'all memorized it by now anyway. Lamentation 337 says what? says, who is he who speaks? And it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it. You memorized it by now. At least just you did me. You walk around all day and boss says something. And you're about to say, and you say, wait a minute. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? God is in control. And something happens at home, God is in control. Something happens in the street, God is in control. And you try to live one day this week knowing 100% that God is in control. And I promise you that is a day that you will never forget. And that is a day that God will work in your life like he's never worked before. Because when we cooperate 
And we say, God, I trust that my life is not in the hands of men, but is in the hands of you. God, you, what you are doing is opening the floodgates for God to work mightily in your life. As he did with the three youth, as he did with Susanna, as he did with Joseph, and he's going to do with you as well and each one of us because that's who our sovereign God is. All right? Let's stand up together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that we are never alone in this world. You're never far away from us, even though the devil would love us to think that you've left us, or that you don't care, or that our, our, we're like outside of your reach. But we know, Lord, that we are never outside of your reach. You are Pantocrator, you are sovereign. God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. And I pray, Lord, that you would really cement that belief inside of us. That we would live our lives in confidence, knowing that the Almighty God is on our side. And He's always with us. And He's always working all things together for good to those who love Him. We thank you this day, Lord, and we pray that you give us to live this week, one day, trusting in your sovereignty every second of the day. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and with the prayers and the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week.